Welcome to The Caleb Show. This is a show about the Bible, about renewing, and about the mind, where every week we discuss how the Word of God is sufficient for day-to-day living, no matter what is happening in your life. You will be challenged to make the Bible an essential part of your thinking and living. Join us now as we investigate the world with the ancient truth of God's Word. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show about Bible renewing and mind. My name is Caleb. I'm glad you're here, and we're going to take a short break. I don't know if you've been following the podcast lately. We've been doing a series called Seven Men Who Rule the World from the Grave, or World Rulers is what I've been calling it. And these are men who all lived in the 1800s and some of them into the 1900s, and their ideas still persist today as ideas that we don't even realize we follow them, but they are controlling, not controlling, but influencing the way the world and society around us thinks and operates. So the next person that we're going to be looking at in our next podcast is Sigmund Freud, but I wanted to preempt that one with this podcast on Uh, what the Bible teaches about the mind. And, I mean, we're barely scratching the surface. And the reality is is that that historically Sigmund Freud to this day has been considered the father of psychoanalysis and of modern psychology. But when you consider the long history of the New Testament and also the Old Testament, what we find out is that God has been concerned about the mind and people's mental health for millennia after millennia. Now, we can go all the way back to Genesis 2-7, which says that God formed man out of the dust of the ground and he breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So uh, some translations say a living being or something like that. But the Hebrew word there that in the King James is translated soul is nephesh. Now I want you to bear that in mind because the word nephesh is a very important word when we're talking about our soul life or the health of our mind. So let me just give you a quick understanding of the term psychology and what it really means. I, I had a conversation several years ago with a chap who was just about to finish his degree in psychology. And as I was talking to him, uh, I, I was talking about the Greek idea of the word suke, from which we get the word psychology. And what he didn't actually realize was that psychology literally is the study of the breath or the study of life, because the word suke has this idea of breath in it. And so uh, whenever we think about life, one of the things that doctors often want to see that the kid is doing the instant he's born is, is he breathing? And so if a baby is breathing, then he may be screaming or coughing or something like that in the process, but his lungs are functioning. And so that's an indication of life. There's a breath there. See how the two go together? If you're breathing, you must be alive. And so uh, at the end of life, and I've worked in a number of nursing homes and have done this myself, where I'll walk into somebody's room at 2 o'clock in the morning and I'll stare at them to see if their, breath, if their chest is going up and down to see if they're breathing. It's like the very first indication 
that you want to go and look and see if someone's alive. If they're breathing, they're alive. So at the start of life, when a person is born, the key thing is that the baby begins to breathe. At the end of life, uh, the key thing is whether or not the person is still breathing to indicate that they're alive. So this idea of suke, this breath, has to do with life. Now, often in the New Testament, when the word suke is used, it's, ref- it's, it's translated as life in a lot of cases, but it's also translated as soul. So we're going to look now at a place where that actually happens. So going back to Genesis 2 verse 7, God breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living nefesh. So the word nefesh there in Hebrew is where uh, it's also translated as suke in the New Testament Greek. So nefesh and suke go together as comparable terms in the in the Bible. So man, according to Genesis two seven, all humans, all humans have within them this breath of life that comes from God. So the reason why we are the kind of people we are is because we have a life that is given to us directly from God himself. It says that we're made in his image in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So uh, Darwinism, as we talked about before, a few other podcasts back, likes to focus on man and his connection to nature and lower orders of animal species and wants the emphasis to be that way. But what the Bible does is it says, no, 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 there is zero indication in the scripture that any any created being of God beside, on this earth besides humans have a breath of life from God in them. Animals are alive, yes, they function, they have a being in themselves, but they're separate from humans because humans have that direct um, kickstart from God, so to speak, that makes them a living nefesh. And so in Hebrew, the word nefesh is used to describe animals and is applied to animals, that's true, but never in the sense of God himself coming down and imparting to animals. So God only ever imparts to humans in the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, we have the word suke. And so Genesis, sorry, Matthew 24, sorry, Matthew 22, follow along with me now, Matthew 22 records a conversation that Jesus had with some Pharisees. And it says one of the Pharisees came to him and asked this question, Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, Master, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. So here Jesus gives us three areas in our life that we are supposed to love God as the highest commandment. And then he goes on to say, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And so he was asked the question, which is the great commandment in the law? And he says, this is the first and the great commandment. So he, what he does is he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. Verse 5, specifically. Because verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And so in the Hebrew, it says heart, soul, and might. So the word soul there is the word nefesh. But in the Greek, it's translated or or 
or transmitted to us as thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all your soul, that suke, and with all your mind. So this word suke is where we get our word psychology. And so psychology literally means the study of breath or by implication, the study of life. But what it's come to mean in its modern usage is really the study of the mind. So here it's been translated as soul. So I don't know, I don't have a degree in psychology, uh, and maybe someone can correct me on this, but the psychology typically has to do with the mind. It doesn't, I don't know if they get into the idea of the soul, but the Bible does. And so I would define soul, this is my my own this is how I understand it in my mind. Uh, other people may have other definitions of soul. There's what's called bipartite uh, position and a tripartite position. I hold to the tripartite position, which is that your soul is made up of your mind, your emotions, and your will. And so humans are tripartite. They have a mind, they have emotions, and they have a will. And so here, if it says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, the soul includes your will, your ability to make decisions, your uh, emotions, how you feel about things, and your mind. Now, I know it says mind again, and that word mind in, Gen- in Ma- Matthew twenty two thirty seven is the word dianoia. And that can be saved for a whole nother podcast, because that's an amazing word in and of itself. But Jesus says here, all that your soul and all your mind, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, it's interesting that he says on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So what he's saying here is that if you are looking, Mr. Pharisee, or anybody else who wants to read the Bible, if you're reading the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, if you're reading the Old Testament and you're wondering what in the world is it there for, how am I to live out the law and the prophets? And so what Jesus says is you can live it out by applying two verses to everything you read in the Law and the Prophets. And those two verses are, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you boil down the whole of the Old Testament to just reading it through the lens of those two commandments, that you will get it. You'll get it right. That's what Jesus is saying. So see, the Old Testament's not that difficult. <laughs> so why do we have laws like thou shalt not steal? Well, because we want to love our neighbor. We don't want to be stolen from, and so we shouldn't steal from somebody else. Why do we have laws like you shall not lie? Well, we don't want to be lied to. We want people to speak truth to us, and so we should speak truth and not tell lies to other people. And so you can break down much of the Old Testament like this, either directed up toward God or directed horizontally toward other humans as an act of love. But ultimately, all love uh, is from is directed to God because even when you're addressing humans and, and acting directly toward humans, like keeping things safe for them to be, you know, so you don't want to put something, you don't want to, uh, you know, lay a rake out in the middle of your yard upside down so someone can step at it and whack themselves in the head. You don't want that to, you don't want to do that on purpose because... You're loving somebody, so you try to clean things up after yourself and make you know places safe, and you want to um, 
you know, have an environment around you that is a place that's conducive for people to uh, grow and be encouraged and to interact and be, you know, things like that. So we kind of have to live our life like that. The words that we say, these are all horizontal things. These are things that we need to be aware of when we're dealing with other people. But the vertical up to God, when we vertical up to God, we're doing even the horizontal to other people is a vertical up to God taking a step back because all people are made in the image of God. They are all living beings as God has created them to be. And so as a result, they deserve our respect and they deserve our compassion and they deserve our kindness and our mercy and things like that. And so when we are kind and compassionate and when we talk to other people with respect and when we try to help people out with things that we are able to help them out with, we're doing that ultimately because we love God, because they are made in the image of God and we love God and we want the best for them. And so see, that's how these two laws interact with each other, is what they do. Now, what happens is is that when you're loving God with all your heart and soul and mind, then it brings about a uh, a healing and it brings about a uh, what's the word I'm looking for a, a, a rest. We'll put it that way. So because because people, when we interact with people, uh, there's always times where there's misunderstandings. There's always times when things, when there's a frustration that comes in. There's always times when you don't like the way somebody has treated you or you don't like the way uh, some circumstances worked out that you can blame on somebody else. There are thousands and thousands of opportunities for us to build up frustration and resentment and bitterness and anger and all these things. And maybe somebody has done something to you. Maybe you've been directly harmed, you know, abusive childhood or uh, a bad marriage with somebody or, uh, you know, unjustly treated at work or fired or manipulated or whatever. I mean, you can, it doesn't take long to, to get online and do some research on human um, suffering and the abuses of um, human rights and things like that. And you can find thousands upon thousands of people that have somehow been uh, treated badly, poorly, evilly, you know, even in, in a lot of ways. And so that is true. That is a reality. But at the same time, uh, I think often of the chap Richard Wormbrand. Rich, Richard Wormbrand was a Lutheran pastor in Romania in the 1940s. And he was arrested by the communist state of Romania at that time in the late 1940s. And he was spent a total of 14 years in prison. He was out for a couple years and went back again, but total of a 14 years in prison. And one of the things that he emphasized during his time in prison was to love your enemy. Now, what happened to Richard Wormbrand, and you can find the book readily, is called Tortured for Christ. This guy was tortured for his faith. And the things that they did to him are horrific when you read about it. But he was consistently and always uh, being compassionate toward his guards. He was always seeking their best. He was sharing the gospel with them. He was living a life that exemplified um, a love that can come to another person when they are being treated like absolute dirt and, and even less than dirt in a lot of, I mean, there's things you wouldn't do to dirt in some places that they were doing to these people. 
and um, who were in prison and the way they tortured the, the believers that were there and anybody else that was there. But the reality is, is that he was able to exemplify the spirit of Jesus to these people because he first put his direction upwards. So when he, when he was on his sham trial, uh, you know, this was after he'd been drugged and after he'd been beaten and he was in isolation. And so he was finally drug in and he was plopped in a chair in front of a few people and they read off all the things that they had against him. You know, the communist uh, party of that day would make up all sorts of lies about people and, and to try to uh, convict them to send them to prison and that and his only defense was is I love God and that was all he could that was all he could conjure up to even respond with was I love God and so they're like right you're back to jail again so which is what they intended to do it didn't matter what he said that's where they were going to send him but that was his statement and so because of his direct love toward God uh, that he that he prioritized in his life consistently he was able to then have that love come back through him toward those who were his enemies, in effect. The ones who persecuted him, the ones who despitefully treated him, the ones who just smashed him into the dirt. And so this is this is not a, a philosophy or a means or a teaching that you would hear from anyone in the Freudian psychology camp. And so next week we'll talk about Freud and talk about the things that he taught. But what I wanted to emphasize in this podcast was when you're loving, you're loving God first and foremost, first and foremost with your whole suke, with with all of the life that was within you, with your soul. You aim that toward God, and as a result, God will fill you with His power and his ability to live life out here and now, just like Jesus did when he walked the earth. And there's a rest and there is a peace that comes upon you. Now, it does not eliminate your circumstances. Circumstances may be that you're being drugged through the crowds with a cross on your back and you're about to be crucified. That may be your circumstance. Uh, but it won't eliminate that circumstance in in some cases or in a lot of cases. But what the circumstance does is creates an environment and an atmosphere in which you can express who God is to everybody around you. And that actually is the constant testimony of both the scriptures, the book of Acts, as well as the faithful uh, to Jesus throughout church history. There has always been a a showing forth of God's love through his people because they are putting their uh, their attention and their mind and their whole life up toward God as an offering to him as a sacrifice of love. And so the Bible consistently uses this word suke. Uh, he who seeks to gain his life will lose it. But if he loses his life for my sake, he will gain it. See, words like that, that's the word suke. So Jesus says, if you are always holding on to your suke, always holding on to your own soul, your own life, then you're actually going to lose it. But if you give it up to him, then you will find it. In other words, he will dump back on you an abundance of life that you couldn't have in any other way. And so uh, this is the teaching of scripture when it comes to this idea of of the soul and of suke. Now, in future podcast episodes, we'll look more closely at the dianoia and at other aspects of the mind and things like that, because, hey, that's what our podcast is about. It's about renewing, about the Bible, and about the mind. And so we'd love to have these topics come up. And so next week, we'll talk about Freud. 
Uh, and if there's any sort of feedback you want to give, please feel free to visit our uh, show page at Buzzsprout, and there is an email address there. You can email me. I'd love to hear from you. And overall, uh, I hope these have been a great blessing to you. So God bless you, and have a great day. Julius Wellhausen. Now, his thoughts have infiltrated the church. It's broken down the church in Europe. It came over to an America, and it's, a, and it's made inroads into America very heavily as well. Obviously, the ideas have been around now for 100 and almost 40 years, I guess, 130 years. But we need to be aware of them, and we need to stand against them and say, no, we let the Bible speak for itself. We engage with the Bible on its own terms. We allow it to be the book that God presented to us and to speak to us so that we can get the fullest benefit from it. And God bless you.